Good morning. Uh, it is my wonderful privilege to bring the word to you this morning. Um, now on the one hand, I feel incredibly encouraged. Um, and on the other hand, I feel completely disarmed because almost every point I was going to make today has already come out in, in, uh, in scriptures that have been shared or words that people have heard from God. And so I'm going to take that as an encouragement. Um, so I'm going to tell you things that you probably already know because God's already been speaking this morning. Um, but isn't it great when the voice of God comes through loud and clear? So before we jump into today's reading, which is from Acts 20, uh, 17 to 38, um, I want to bring your attention to something. <clears throat> See, this passage, the passage we're looking at this morning, um, it finds the church on the brink of a new season. The first generation of apostles were the men who had direct contact with Jesus, either during his life and ministry or in Paul's case, by a miraculous post-resurrection encounter. These men who had uh, left Jerusalem and, and come into the towns and villages uh, of the Gentiles and turned their upside-down worlds the right way up. They'd established churches and communities and taught the, the full gospel of Jesus. These giants of the faith uh, are moving on. And there is a lot of uncertainty among the believers who are left behind uh, about what this new phase of life will look like. At Miletus, Paul gathers the local elders in order to draw a line in the sand that they must cross without him and to remind them about the foundational principles and character traits that he has modeled them, modeled to them during his time with them. And to outline exactly what it is, the, the essence of what it is to be Christian and to carry that forward into this uncertain future that lies before them. See, there's a parallel to be drawn here. Uh, between between this this particular example and and the global church today, see as we look at the last few months uh, and attempt to look ahead into the uncertainty of a, a post lockdown world, you see COVID nineteen has changed things for us in many ways, uh, and it's likely to impact the way we worship and the way we meet and interact for some time. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that uh, at tonight's meeting. Um, so please do get along to that. But I believe that the Lord is saying that now is a time for change, both physically and spiritually, uh, a season for something new. And that we do not need to be anxious or afraid. If we seek him and listen to his voice, then we can step into an unknown future, being certain of and armed with the living truth of God. See, there's a growing sense amongst those with uh, prophetic gifting, both inside freedom uh, and in a larger church context, that the COVID-19 epidemic is a line in the sand, a chance for us to come once again to God and honestly assess and surrender our lives and our church culture to his will. So this morning, as we look at this passage, I want you to examine your hearts. Ask yourself, what am I taking forward into this new season? What aspects of my character need developing or pruning? Is now the time to shake off the things that distract me and draw my focus from the commission laid out for me by Jesus? So with that in mind, I'm going to read this morning's text, which is Acts chapter 20 
verses 17 to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I have lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I have never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. <sighs> so, I don't know how many of you know this, but um, Christ Central run a course called the School of Leadership. And it's a two-year course for, for developing leaders. Um, and it's, it's not just for leaders. It's, it's for anyone who wants a good, solid biblical foundation. Um, I really recommend it. If you're, if you're thinking about it, uh, they are COVID-19 safe. It's, it's kind of partially online, but you can go there in, in person if you want. Um, and it's, it's really brilliant. In fact, I've just finished it. Um, had my little graduation ceremony uh, online, obviously, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's run by a guy called Martin Charlesworth, um, who's brilliant. Uh, the man has forgotten more than I will ever know. Uh, about the Bible. And that's not because he's got a bad memory. Uh, it's because the man's got one of those brains. Um, but I think even he would be the first to tell you that he's no Paul. And what we see here in, in Acts um, is Paul's school of leadership. So Paul has spent the last three years based in Ephesus. 
uh, where he spent his time teaching and equipping believers and raising up new leaders. Essentially, the guys he's assembled and called to Miletus were, were like the first batch of students to complete a degree in theology and Christian leadership at Paul's School of Leadership. Um, obviously, it, it wasn't a formal thing like that, um, but I'm, I'm just drawing a comparison here. And this Miletus address uh, is their graduation speech or, or their commissioning. I can almost imagine them all standing there in their caps and gowns, uh, waiting for their turn to walk up to the platform and, and get a handshake and a diploma. Um, but what they get is much less like a nice ceremony with tea and cake afterwards. In fact, it has a much stronger resemblance to what we see in chapter one of Joshua. So the book of Joshua opens with God speaking directly to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I have promised Moses. See, in Joshua 1, God moves Joshua into a new season, from apprenticeship to leadership, from wilderness into the promised land. And like Joshua 1, Paul is preparing the Ephesian elders to move into a new season. And we too, in our current context, we are a Joshua generation, standing on the edge of something, moving into a new ground, a new season. Are you ready? Now, as soon as the elders arrive in Miletus, Paul begins his preach by reminding them of his character and attitudes in ministry. He points them firstly to his life and character rather than his achievements. An interesting choice. You see, he'd, he'd done a lot to be proud of. He'd established churches. He had spread the gospel. He's had this profound ministry. And yet, that's not what he points to. You see, Paul knew that the foundation of all leadership has to be a life that imitates Christ. He knew that the evidence of our hope should firstly and most explicitly be reflected in who we are and how we live. He says that he served with humility and tears. Now, when we talk about humility in the church, um, C.S. Lewis is the go-to guy. You know, he's often quoted when we talk about humility, uh, and with really good reason. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking of your thinking, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think what he's getting at here is that humility is not about squashing myself down. It's not about making myself smaller uh, as if somehow I can make God seem bigger as a result. You know, like some kind of optical illusion. No, our God is big enough. He doesn't need us to feel smaller for him to be bigger. No, it's about releasing the fullness of our humanity by putting God in his rightful place. See, in order for me as Dave to experience the ultimate Daveness that God has made for me, I have to recognize 
that the ultimate authority in my life and ministry is in God and not in me. Now, humility is not easy. In fact, it can be really hard sometimes. Um, that's why we as fallen people fail at it so often. But we need to remember that lack of humility before God is a recipe for disaster. In Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul tells his readers to imitate him as he imitates Christ. So when we're looking for um, an example of humility and leadership, Paul's a great place to look, but really there's only one place to go, and that's Jesus. And with and of the many examples of, of humility in Jesus' life and ministry, one really sticks out to me, and that's, that's when he washes his disciples' feet. See, by doing this, Jesus is demonstrating servant leadership on an epic scale. The living God, Jesus, the one, if you look out your window, everything you see came from, came from God. The living God, the God made man, the word made flesh, who knew all authority in heaven and on earth was his. He humbled himself before the disciples and washed their dirty, stinky, sweaty feet. Isn't that mind blowing? See, naturally, this would have been this job would have fallen to the lowest servant of the house. Um, but you see, by doing this, Jesus wasn't just, it was, there was a lot more to it than just a simple demonstration of humility. There's something prophetic going on here too. As in Joshua, the feet are how new ground is claimed. In Isaiah, we read, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The hallmark of a new season is releasing the church into the advance of the gospel. And Paul wants to be sure, just as Jesus wanted to be sure, that the foundations of our advance are in the right place. Humility is a prerequisite for revival. We begin at the cross. And from the foot of the cross and in humility before God, we lay down our lives. That we may walk in newness of life and be well positioned to partner with God in the advance of the gospel. And when Paul talks about humility, it isn't just humility, it's humility and tears. He served with humility and tears, even in the face of persecution. He talks a few times about tears and weeping. And when I read these things, it speaks to me of Paul's heart. You see, we are supposed to weep as we live out our calling to spread the gospel. We are supposed to have an emotional response to the sin-stained world we live in. I've been praying a lot recently that God would give me his heart, that he would break my heart for the lost, that he would help me to hate sin and love my enemies 
and that I would weep with those who weep and walk with those in the valley and rejoice with those who, even in the face of persecution, are able to lean on the Lord and find joy and strength and comfort in him. Lord, in this new season, give us your heart. Give us your heart, Lord, that we would serve you with humility and tears. Lord, release us from the shackles of our numbness to sin and give us a vision for your kingdom come on earth. So having reminded them of the foundational importance of character, in verse 20, Paul moves on to keeping the main thing the main thing. He reminds the Ephesian elders that whilst he was with them, He never hesitated to preach the gospel, that joy news of Jesus, both publicly and from house to house. See, our great commission is not only a matter of publicly declaring the gospel, but a personal relationship too. We don't get to, you know, feed the 99, but neglect the one because interpersonal relationships don't come easily. Nor do we get to feed the one and neglect the 99 because we're not prepared to be bold. Yes, God gives us different characters and giftings, but we share the same commission to go into the world and spread the good news. And we need to be prepared to step into it. As it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit of God, sorry, for the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, self-discipline. Remember what God says to Joshua on the eve of his advance toward the promised land? He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord our God will be with you wherever you go. See, we are called and equipped by God. Hmm. This was true in its context for Joshua. It was true for the Ephesian elders in our text. And it is true for us today. It is true for all who seek first the kingdom of God and humbly submit to his direction to take new ground. So as we look ahead to the coming season, we know that whatever comes next, we must carry the gospel forward with boldness. This gospel that the book of Luke describes as anointed, good news of freedom, of recovery and liberty. That's Luke 4, 18. For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. See, preaching the gospel is the work of the spirit of God being upon us. It's not our achievement, it's God's. And we come into it through repentance and faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, in repentance, we lay down our lives as Christ laid down his and we echo his prayer of humble submission. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. 
in verse 22. Paul explains why he's leaving. In the NIV translation, uh, it says that, that he is compelled by the Spirit to return to Jerusalem. Uh, but when you look at the original Greek word use, uh, you see something quite interesting. Uh, we see that what we translate as, as compelled, or rather the NIV translates as compelled, um, actually is, is more accurately translated as bound up. Um, and it's, it's a really strong word. It's actually translated in other parts of scripture as the word prison, just to give you a, an idea of, of how, how strong this word is. So it would be equally accurate to say that Paul is a captive of, or taken captive by, or even a prisoner of the will of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of a real closeness between Paul and the Holy Spirit. And how did he have this closeness? And how do we cultivate this kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives? How are you investing in your relationship with God? Are you all showroom and no stockroom? Do we scavenge for berries in wild thorn bushes or do we plant and cultivate an orchard of truth where fruit hangs off every bough? See, I read, I read little things like that where Paul says, I'm captured, I'm prison, imprisoned by the will of the Holy Spirit. And I think, wow, if I had that kind of relationship if I had that kind of relationship, yeah, it'd be way easier. <laughs> I, but I don't. And I, I think, well, it's easy for you, Paul. You know, clearly you're God's chosen one. But, but he's not. You know, so how did he have that? Well, I'm going to use a very spiritual metaphor here. Um, so me and Robert, who's part of our bubble, we're watching Cool Runnings a couple of weeks ago. In fact, we actually ended up watching it last night because it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, and as I was watching it, I was, I was trying to think, I was thinking about what I was going to say today. And I was, I was trying to think of a metaphor. Um, and then, you know, it hit me in the face. So with a bobsleigh, right? When it's on the ground, when it's at the bottom of the hill, it's not going anywhere. It has no potential energy even. It has no potential to go anywhere. And that is like our life before. If, if we completely disengage with the Holy Spirit, there is no potential for us to, to hear his voice. But by God's grace, he, he lifts us to the top of that hill. He lifts us to the top of the hill where, where we have the potential, if we choose, to engage with the Holy Spirit. But before gravity can, can take over and pull that bobsleigh down, um, it needs to be taken to the edge. And it needs to be pushed. And when we, when we put ourselves in a position where the Holy Spirit can take over, can, where, like with the bobsleigh, when they push, they run, they, they sprint as fast as they can until the bobsleigh almost gets away from them. And then they hop in, at which point... Gravity takes hold and it pulls them down. 
It compels them towards the finishing line. It compels them towards the goal. They are captives of gravity. There is only one way they can go at that point. See, and when we recognize the power of the Holy Spirit, when we put ourselves in that position to benefit from that power, to, to be captured by it, and when we chase after him, when we chase after the Holy Spirit, he will take hold of us like gravity and propel us forward on our journey with Christ at the helm. I can't help but think if all believers heard the voice of the Holy Spirit with the kind of clarity that Paul does, and honestly, I think the world could change overnight. Imagine if every believer you know was taken captive by the will of the Holy Spirit like that. How awesome would that be? But it won't just happen. What are you going to do this week to get yourself in a position to hear God? How are we as a church going to be ready to respond to the voice of God in this coming season? We are a Joshua generation. We are on the edge of a new land. Are you prepared? Are your bags packed? Are you ready to forget what is behind and press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called you heavenwards in Christ Jesus? When we look at this text, we see Paul was. This is Paul's attitude. So no wonder he says that his life is worth nothing to him except as a vessel to complete the task Jesus has given him to spread the good news of God's grace. And when Paul says it, it's not just empty words either. By returning to Jerusalem, he knows he is likely to be killed and almost certainly imprisoned. Now, luckily for us, it was, it was the latter. He was, he was imprisoned and it wasn't death that awaited him. But he was ready for either. So when the spirit told him to go, that was exactly what he was going to do. Are we ready to go where the spirit is leading? In verse 25, he stands before the Ephesian elders and tells them that they won't see him again. He then goes on to say something that's quite breathtaking. He says that he is innocent of the blood of any of them because he has not hesitated to proclaim to them the whole will of God. Now, this idea is not explicitly taught anywhere else in the Bible, as far as I'm aware. Um, I don't have infallible knowledge of the Bible, so I'm open to be corrected on that. <laughs> but uh, it's a sobering thought. We're told to go and share the good news in Matthew. But the implication here is that we're not only accountable for our words and actions, but we're also accountable for our silence and our inaction. Paul talks about proclaiming the whole will of God. Are we committed going forward to proclaiming the whole will of God? Or are we content to sit back and share the easy stuff about how loving he is uh, and how gracious he is, but neglect his judgment. 
because people don't like the idea of being judged. So are we happy to share half the gospel in order to avoid making people feel uncomfortable? I think the stakes are way too high. We cannot edit or compromise God's word to fit around societal norms. Paul is telling us that we are accountable not only for what we say and do in this life, but our failure to give full account of the will of God. The gospel is a matter of eternal sonship and inheritance or eternal separation and death. There is no room for compromise. And it would not be loving to do so. Are we prepared to be bold in not only sharing the gospel, but to do it unflinchingly and fully? In verse 28, Paul warns the elders to watch over themselves and those God has placed in their care to be shepherds of the church. God wants people of integrity. He wants people who want him and pursue him in their personal life, especially those who lead. And when I say that, we all lead in in essence. We all have a sphere of influence. Uh, People that we lead at work or friends or family or even just ourselves. Paul is calling the Ephesian elders and God is calling you to make every effort to remain pure and focused on him. But how do we keep watch over ourselves? What does it look like for us here and now, and as we look forward to the future? Are you being vigilant in your spiritual walk? Are you being, are you making sure that you're being fed? Are you choosing, as Rosanna was talking about, to engage in worship. Worship is one of the greatest weapons of warfare that we have. The other is prayer. When we engage in those things, we are safeguarding our soul. We are coming into line with the will of the Father. Are you vigilant with your spiritual walk? Are you thinking about what you are putting in to your mind? Are you thinking about what you are watching on Netflix or on the internet and how it's affecting your soul? Are you planting an orchard of righteous truth or are you planting thorn bushes? Are you thinking about who and what you allow to influence your thoughts, your actions and your beliefs? Are you thinking about who you spend your time with, how you spend your time generally, and how you spend your money? Show me a man's bank statement and diary, and I will show you where his heart lies. And this is something I recommend you do periodically. 
you go through your bank statement, you go through your diary and see what you are giving your time and your money to. It's challenging and it's illuminating, but it will tell you if your life really reflects what you profess to believe. And if when you do this, as I have in the past, and you, and you realize that actually this is not showing the gospel at work in my life, then what are you going to do about it? See, Paul talks about his relationship to money uh, at the end of this passage. He says that he's not coveted anyone's silver or gold that his hands are supplied for his needs and the needs of his companions. He is keen to point out that we have a responsibility to use the resources God has given us to care for the weak and for those in need. And he quotes Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Is generosity something that we profess to be one of our uh, foundational principles at Freedom? Is that going to be something that you are prepared to carry into the new season? It should be. See, as we look ahead to this coming season, I want to ask you, are you prepared to hold your crooked lives and priorities? And I'm talking about me there as well. Up against the plumb line of scripture. And allow the sword of truth to cut away anything that doesn't belong. Will you make a decision today to actively draw near to God in order to lay hold of what he has for you? We can only cross over the border into a new land when we step forward in faith. This morning, I believe God wants to say that we, like Joshua, are about to move into new territory. And like the Ephesian elders, we need to be ready to lose our safety net and rise to the calling God has placed before us. That COVID-19 presents a line in the sand that we must cross, but we need to do it with humility. That this morning, here and now, Here and now is the time to realign our lives with God, to command our thoughts and surrender our whole selves to be taken captive by the Holy Spirit of God to the obedience of Christ. The season is changing. Are you ready to go? What will you take into the coming lands. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is so much meat here, Lord, so much challenge. Father, we want to come to you this morning humbly. We want to put you in your place. We want to acknowledge you as king and as father over our lives. Lord, we want to submit ourselves to you. We want to submit our lives, our beliefs, Father, our cultural biases, Father. We want to just put them all 
at the foot of the cross. Lord, we want to hold ourselves up against the plumb line of your truth. Search me, Lord, and know my inner thoughts. Lord, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds into Christ-likeness. That we would be bold and prepared to stand for the gospel in its fullness. Lord, that as you move us on into new territory, we would go boldly. We would go worshipping. We would go where you direct us and claim new land. Lord, that your kingdom would come. Your will would be done on earth as in heaven. Amen.